Hello and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. I'm Sam Hyde and I'm joined as always by Toby Pusever. It's been an average week of football, I would say. <laughs> We're going to talk about some bits. I think the biggest game that people are talking about is Arsenal's 2 all draw at West Ham. So we'll cover that and we'll also talk about the Team of the Season nominees that also came out, which, uh, which Twitter is talking about. Uh, hello, Toby. Hello, hello. I've not really been on Twitter much. When did it, when did this team of the season come out? Was it today? <laughs> no, it was three days ago. Or three days ago. Have I been under a rock? What's been going on here, Sam? Well, I don't know where you've been. I've been watching watching the Mighty Reds steamroll. It. Uh, Leeds. That's Leeds. what I've been doing. Sounds good. Weekend. Yeah, it was on a Monday, so it's quite nice. Well, I mean, you know, it was on a Monday, but nice thing about a Monday is that. Can't ruin the weekend, can it? I got to watch Spurs uh, be Spurs. I got to watch Chelsea be Chelsea. Um, I got to watch Arsenal. Now they've got a new sort of thing where they 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 throw away two 0 leads like like they don't even want to win the league. And um, Monday night, settle down after a lovely bolognese and and tuck into it whilst. Uh, Whilst uh, watching the Reds hit six. So, yeah. Lovely weekend of football for me, Sam, actually. Lovely. Yeah, I guess it's always nice when your team doesn't play at the weekend. And then you can just spend your whole weekend not worrying about the football. Yeah, Um, and just worrying about fantasy Premier League instead. But then, when you've got Ollie Watkins and Alex Moreno in the early kickoff, it was the dream weekend, really. In, in terms of my uh, footballing interests mm. and maybe dream weekend uh, and other things you know I didn't have a bad weekend uh, you know it wasn't yeah. purely football that it was a good weekend did you have a good weekend? Uh, yes good footballing bought, weekend? Uh, sure mm, did you though I, Sam? well I wasn't angry about it we, we're talking about Arsenal West Ham of course uh which was probably the m- most important result of the weekend because Arsenal Arsenal dropped points again. Exactly the same against Liverpool is that they played really, really well for the first 30 minutes and went 2-0 up. Arsenal actually scored in, twice in the first 10 minutes against West Ham uh, and were completely in control. And then somehow, after scoring two goals, it very quickly loses control and... Uh, a team that looked really, really bad. In both games, Liverpool and West Ham looked basically like dead and buried at the start of the game. Suddenly get this new lease of life and uh, it just swings immediately into their favour and they're getting all the chances. So so I missed this game because I was watching <clears throat> the mighty AFC Bitten in a cup semi-final on, you know, some bit of Sunday league action there. So I was at that game instead. So for this Arsenal, for this Arsenal game, Sam, what was there? How how soon did you lose? I suppose controlled possession, or did that ever happen? Or, or what were the similarities and differences between this game and the Liverpool game? In in the sense that we looked awful at the start, but you made us look awful, and that was also partly us being awful as well in being able to defend. Um, in those in those key moments where you sort of took us apart, but how how similar were the two games? Um, were you actually dominated to the point where we sort of dominated you by West Ham, or was it a case where you still actually had plenty of possession even at sort of two two or two one, but they were pretty comfortable sort of out of in out of possession shape that you couldn't really do much to. So uh, in terms of the first. In terms of the 2-0 stage of the game, it was very similar in that Arsenal looked great and that West Ham couldn't really do anything. They were trying to press, uh, get really tight to all of uh, Arsenal's players high up the pitch and uh, it just didn't work. Arsenal were just playing around them really easily. It was like a really poor uh, approach to the pressing from West Ham. Uh, And then, so the, the... the goal that gets West Ham back in, back into it is a penalty. Um, 
and this comes from their pressing uh, when Thomas Partey picks it up in the middle of the pitch and and Rice uh, presses him effectively this time. Uh, moments before, Partey picked it up deep, um, sort of in between the lines of the midfield and the defence, and uh, had absolutely no pressure on him at all. And that was kind of uh, a bit of a problem with West Ham to start with, is that they were like doing all these little fouls, but uh, from getting tight, and there wasn't really any order to it. But um, yeah, so. It wasn't really until conceding from that penalty that it started to switch. Um... Okay, and you mentioned just sorry, just quickly to jump in there. So, so two nil up, cruising, similar to the way that Liverpool against Liverpool two nil up, and cruising. Um, I mean, it looked like you were going to score every time you attacked against against Liverpool in the first like twenty five minutes. Um, were there any? You, you mentioned to me outside of this podcast that Thomas Partey had a bit of a shocker. Were there signs? In whilst two nil up, that he was off it, or was it all fine? Uh, I would but say maybe, no. Maybe when the pressure changed, it was all fine until he lost it for the penalty. And what I will say is that the reason he loses it is because uh, it hits Rice's forearm, uh, which he was very unhappy about. He like was properly. Uh, he's very persistent in complaining about the referee and that Rice handballed it because uh, yeah he has that moment before when he's not pressured where he's got all the time in the world to play it and then the next time Rice is really tight on him and he tries to flick it past Rice which was way too overconfident from Partey it was a really needless thing to do Uh, a bit of a lack of a bit of a lapse in concentration there but uh, yeah it hits his hand Rice clearly benefits from hitting his hand, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that affects Partey because from then on he was um, he was poor. He was really sloppy in his passing uh, all game. Well, okay, can I quickly throw in a random link to the AFC Bitten match that I watched? Yeah, which was going on simultaneously uh, to this, and uh, so my girlfriend. They were playing a four-two-four, a really aggressive four-two-four, and it completely stopped. Cut any of this out that is really boring. Um, but they were playing a really aggressive four-two-four and basically stopped the other team building out. And they would knock everything long, but they couldn't really knock it that long. So they would just knock it over their defensive line. But then the two in centre midfield would pick up everything and just then play forwards into that front four. And so it would be like aggressive starting positions so it was almost like they didn't even have to like counter press because they were already tight to them and forced the team to go long but then couldn't pick up that that long ball but then my girlfriend it was gets booked about half an hour in first booking Women's football at this standard, this isn't a dig on women's football at all. This is a positive about women's football. There's not the same level of aggression and testosterone and just cockiness and, I don't know, all sorts of that kind of character on the pitch. And you don't see many yellow cards, especially at this level, because they're not really giving the ref any too much grief. There'll be a little bit, but there's nothing. it's all pretty polite. They're always making sure, like the other girls are alright if they go through someone or if something's a bit late you see late tackles but it, it's just kind of like a no one's complaining everyone's just getting up and getting up and get on with it so first time she's booked and it was harsh it was really harsh but then from there onwards you can see you could see the the change in mindset or, or, or like the hesitancy of going into tackles and although you know the performance didn't unravel or anything like that but just that slight one incident then just threw up hesitation and then they actually wouldn't be first to all of those balls that came over and then they looked more and more exposed because they still left four up and there were other changes that happened there were striker changes there were all sorts of things but it was it was just quite interesting to watch to be honest so how is that similar sorry Sorry, because Partey got caught once, and then it's that in the back of the mind. Oh, I see. But then maybe I haven't seen yeah. the Partey incident, so maybe it's not similar at all. But I, I, my my approach was more of the sort of the psychology and uh, 
the, the psychology of just playing a football match and at the start playing a football match with nothing no external factors weighing heavily in your mind and influencing decisions and then you just start doing things that you if something happens let's say whether it be a booking or whether it be uh you get caught on possession in possession and you deem it unfairly or, or whatever it is but you then start doubting the next move and the next move and the next move and it's kind of like hard to then get out of that rut if you like is that all getting cut no, but I think uh, Jamie Carragher afterwards uh, kind of uh, did. You, did you say the opposite? Maybe of what you're saying is that he thought Arsenal were too cocky uh, when they went two 0 up. Actually, compared to the Liverpool game as well, that Arsenal Arsenal got too confident, and um, maybe the lapses in concentration came from that and trying to be too uh, too good. Like I think Arteta mentioned, sort of certain flicks that players are doing. Uh, and the most most obvious flick that went wrong was the Partey one that uh, hits Declan Rice's hand and uh, they score from. Ha- and um, then and then where does where are Declan Rice's arm? Because there's Trent's. Have you seen Trent's handball for the goal? No, no, no. Because they keep showing an ankle, which makes it look like his arm comes out, but he actually turns his body. The arm turns with the body, but the arm is is by his side. In my in my opinion, in my biased. Uh, opinion, but anyway, that's a different matter. Okay, well, ju- just to go into this v- uh, VAR decision, which is uh, is not the point of the Arsenal game at all. Like, I- I'm not really that bothered about the the end result of the game, or like the game didn't really annoy me that much. It didn't like affect my day <laughs> or anything. Um, but yeah, it's because uh, the camera that they showed on the live broadcast was a. Uh, a side view of Declan Rice where it looks like it hits his um his torso and then you see the back view at half time and it shows the uh the arm outstretched from Declan Rice and it's just sort of like uh bent at the elbow kind of controlling it kind of thing like accidentally but and then he like goes on to play it through after then it's like you know there's there's a delay uh between him passing it and the goal being scored so um, that's why the VAR didn't look at it too much, I think. I think that's the same with the Trent one, to be honest. Um, they did say it was it was deemed to be too far back um, to be looked at, but it, it wasn't really that far back. I think they have the wrong angle, is the thing in the VAR. Like, it looks like from one angle that it's, uh, it's not a handball, which is deceiving. But yes, Arsenal finished the game with 72% possession, uh, but they were just very, very lax with it. Uh, Kieran Tierney uh, was was moved into Zinchenko's inverted wing back role, uh, moving alongside Partey, lacking a bit of the technical ability of uh, Zinchenko. So, yeah, some of the passing was a bit flat, like from Odegaard as well. Uh, not a great game. Saka has been very quiet uh, for a few games now. Um, and yeah, it's just Arsenal were just too slow. I thought. The, even like in the last 10 minutes it wasn't like that energy that you've seen from Arsenal before Yeah, I think okay. J- Jesus had gone off who was really good it seems a bit of a shame that he's getting uh, you know obviously having his injury managed but uh, not getting much more than 60 minutes of the game to uh, to have the full effect he can and then yeah sticking with, uh, with the Saka, Jesus, Martinelli front three who were obviously brilliant, but when Saka's been off it recently, maybe bringing Trossard into there a lot earlier would be would be good. Um, you know, there, there's options with the Arsenal team. It's just that when players are having off days like they were against West Ham creatively, um, yeah, it'd be nice to see some more changes, I think. I think also you... you, you... You, the manager wants to entrust the players that have taken him to the top as well, right? So, I mean, what I mean by that is that Saka has earned the right to like prove that across the 19 minutes he could have that spark, that moment of brilliance. And I know that you've got like 
ammunition to come off the bench now um, with Jesus back. Obviously, I know that means he starts, but it means um, you know got. What is it? Inketi a fit at the moment? Uh, yes, it was, but the the substitution was um, Trossard on instead. Okay, but you have players that because you, you could bring Trossard on the left or down the middle. You know there is, and with Enketia, he's proven that he can he can find the back of the net repeatedly. So there is like reasons to have the subs and things. But I suppose yeah, it does seem a little bit odd. I, I think I think Saka's earned the faith of the manager clearly you know that over 90 minutes he can create something out of nothing but then if he isn't doing it it then does become yeah. very difficult like it's you know I've I've had to big up Saka for for ages because uh, you know he's one of those youngsters that comes through and sometimes people can sort of just think you're talking about another Gideon Zellalem or whoever uh, you know or another Cameron Brannigan ex- or uh, I don't know who that is, but that's probably the point. Who came through the yeah, yeah, exactly. He's at Oxford United, so it's not like a bad career or anything, but it's like League One Championship football. Ben Woodburn. Well, I know him. He was, he was, at Fulham, wasn't he? Uh, he might have been briefly. Harry Wilson, although he actually is at Fulham and plays Premier League football but not really regularly anyway uh, please stop me from just naming other <laughs> random yeah. Pedro Kiravea sorry I can't stop Saka is obviously brilliant having a brilliant season but there are games where he's not brilliant and he never looks like being brilliant and then he never is brilliant in the game so um, you know he played the 490 I think he's always someone that starts I would like to see him maybe get a little bit more rest uh, when he's not playing well for 60 minutes. Um, obviously, it's a bit harder because he misses the penalty and maybe taking him off. You know, you don't want to be a Stellini and making a Davison Sanchez substitution and just sort of affecting the mentality of the players. But Okay, yeah, so do you reckon because he missed the pen, he keeps his, he, he keeps his place in the team? <laughs> Oh, well, I don't know. I because this happens all the time anyway. Saka basically plays as much as he can all the time. Uh, it it yeah. I'm I'm conscious of this seeming harsh because Saka has just missed the penalty, which would have taken us three one up. And it was a very it's a very strange atmosphere because um, yeah, Arsenal do this thing where uh, one of the players holds the ball, mm-hmm. so usually Odegaard, but in this case it was Jesus. Uh, they hold the ball near the penalty spot while the, like while the VAR check is going on and these sort of things and to attract all of the mind games. <laughs> yeah. Whilst the the star boy is protected in the wings. Yeah, he's looking like he's not going to take it, and so Jesus gives it to Saka at the last minute, and there's this cheer from the away end, and I don't know, like Saka's been good at penalties. You know, he scored one against Chelsea. Um, he'd missed one of his last five before this but uh, it just felt like it was going to be Jesus's day he's come back so strong from injury and he was one of our best players before then I'm going to mention his name actually in the team of the season thing later but um, yeah I don't know it, it was something that I anticipated actually I saw Gutter Blog say the exact same thing so maybe it is I don't know well, I'm not even sure. Did, did Jesus even have a great record on pens? Uh, the only reason I say that is because I remember that Man City didn't have a clear, defined penalty taker for a while, and it was Mares, yeah. and he was missing a few, and he was still Mares a bit. And I just wonder if he ever had that great of a record either. No, he didn't at City, but he's been been solid at Arsenal with them. Is the thing. So you, you, yeah, you can look at the City and make good reasons for it as well, but. It's, it's just these things that are quite hard to quantify, but just on the day, seeing Jesus with the ball and then giving over to Saka, to me, it felt like this is where something could go wrong. Whereas for some reason I had that confidence with Jesus because of how how good he's been. He's been the form player since coming back and Saka definitely hasn't been. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I think it's difficult though to judge that one because 
if the game plan is for them to attract the sort of mind games and the and the pressure and whatever you want to call it and the keeper coming up and having a few words and all that kind of thing then it's it's designed to look like he's taking it so then i think as a fan at that point when he passes it over you're a bit like well is this other person mentally prepared you know what i mean you're so ready for because look the whole pl- the whole point is it for, for, is for it to fool the defenders yeah so it's normal that you're not fooled but you're then thinking you're you're ready for him to take it in the same way that the opposition team are ready for him to take it so i understand what you're saying but if you're happy to employ that strategy which a lot of teams do i saw um I think Callum Wilson might have done it for Trippier or something like that. Or Trippier did it for Isaac. That was it, sorry. Um, and, so, and, and and a few other teams like to do it. Then I think it is natural for you as a fan to think, you know, well, hang on. What about X player who was standing over it and I was ready for them to take it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But it's, at the same time, Saka got a big cheer when he picked up the ball. Which I guess is like support for him, but I think, you know, he is the star boy, and a lot of Arsenal fans would like to see that. But, um, yeah, it was just very weird because obviously West Ham go and score basically immediately after the penalty is uh, sent wide, and uh, yeah, it's just it was just such a big blow. And from that point on, Arsenal were obviously uh, dominating the territory, but just didn't really have that that push to actually do very much with it uh yeah it was just a very strange game it was it was flat i wasn't anywhere near as affected as i was by the liverpool result uh even though you would say going to the london stadium not quite the same as going to adfield uh i mean look the the obvious comparison between city and arsenal right now is it's one team that is still starting games fantastically well but it's sort of fading out then, then after taking a 2-0 lead, obviously that's just based off the last two games. Uh, but whereas City do just seem like a force that can't be sort of stopped. Um, look, I don't even want to really go into the title race too much because, to be honest, the draw changes things, but it, it, just, mean, it just means that the game you could afford to drop points on has just happened. Rather than you know, if City are to win all their games, then they're to win all their games regardless, right? If if they're to beat you, like it, it, it changes, it changes things, it changes the mood, but it doesn't change much in a numbers sense. It just means that if they beat you and win all their games, they're not relying on goal difference. So yeah, they're four points behind with a game in hand. So it, it means the game against City is is you know, like we said against Liverpool more crucial than it was uh it looks looks it looks like a title decider basically yeah okay so but 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 to come away from that because look that that we could go around the houses talking about that yeah it's it's fine but i don't think it changes anything it's fine it's it's not a disaster and arsenal are still a point ahead of city even if they win the game in hand so yeah 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 and there is this outcome that nobody talks about where you actually beat city but nobody likes to even think about that at the moment the only thing is is like I think people haven't given Arsenal a chance of beating City like all season in terms of like a one-on-one match uh, after we lost the reverse fixture but um, yeah the injuries are a bit of a worry is the only thing for this game Saliba yeah. is uh, looking He's unlikely on he is on a bike but it's looking maybe too soon for him which is uh, a big shame yeah, that does then become a bit of a problem. Um, okay, so so rather than talk about that, what I'd like to actually bring up on Arsenal is, look, it's been an unbelievable season regardless of what happens now and until the end of it. And importantly, you've got Champions League is secured. How much... Because, well, the reason I'm asking this question is more just based off the fact that, look, Saliba's out for a bit and... and a few you still go and storm into the lead but then the leads get get thrown away what's the depth looking like and and realistically and I know it's too early to to say but what sort of additions need to be made for you to be able to compete for the league again and go let's say 
to a to a respectable length in the Champions League. Yeah, so the one thing I, I would say is that all of the starting eleven are probably going to be better next season. You would hope, um, just with the extra experience. So you've got the benefit of having, you know, Saka, Martinelli, uh, you know, even players like Ben White and Odegaard who are in that sort of twenty-four, twenty-five age bracket. Like the this is all going to be like great experience for them and Arteta as well. But yeah, in terms of the squad numbers, they are going to have to spend to get a Champions League level depth. Uh, so the the priority would be midfield. Um, obviously, the the six role is uh, incredibly crucial, and uh, there's been lots of talk about like Declan Rice or someone. Uh, that that would be the main priority. Um, someone well, in maybe a centre back as well. Yeah, a centre back would would be good. Like we've got. Yeah, it's. It looks worse than it is a centre back problem because Ben White uh, has been playing right back. Uh, obviously, he's been brilliant, but uh, Tommy Asu has been injured as well, so there's no rotation in in right back. Um, we could move Ben White into centre back like he was last season, but uh, we don't have a backup right back now. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. Someone flexible in defence who could play like right back and centre back would be would be perfect, uh, and then a granite Xhaka, uh rotation option would would be great, or an improvement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and look, it's 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 still a fantastic place to be in, you know, and it's it's only normal anyway. It's not like it's a criticism. You know what I mean? Um, it's a testimony to how good the starting eleven has been, really, as well. Um, I'd say, but. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm looking. F- I'm. I'm looking forward to watching the Champions League. Though I am looking forward to 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 watching that and seeing what who you come up against and what kind of problems you can cause them. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to be back. I think the Europa League this season has not really been uh, something that's attracted a lot of interest from the Arsenal fans. Um, so having an actual proper go at, at Europe would be would be great. Maybe we get revenge on Bayern Munich after all this time. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Do you think it goes down to the last game? Uh, it depends if Arsenal lose to Man City. If Arsenal well, lose, well, exactly. So does it? Does it go down to the final day? You know, I really wouldn't actually like to call it at all. Uh, <laughs> He's cause... on the fence. This boy is on the fence. Well, it's because City are finally looking good. Like they finally kicked back into gear. Yeah, they us. look inevitable again. Before they looked like really good one game, and then they'd go and draw to someone. And you think, how on earth have they done that? But now it just seems like a well-oiled machine again. It's quite painful, isn't it? Yeah. Before the international break, I would have said Arsenal would win, but like the Saliba, Saliba being out for longer than we thought, and Arsenal's form has been a worry. Uh, I think Arsenal will be a lot better in their other games in the season, but just that one match is going to be so important. So, uh, yeah, who knows? There's a good chance for Arsenal, though. Good chance. Very good chance. Very good chance. Um, Do you have any key games you want to go through? Obviously, the Liverpool game was last night, which I was very happy about, but Leeds were pretty dreadful. Aston Villa-Newcastle was a big sort of statement victory from Villa, I would say. And uh, Brighton going away to Chelsea and beating them was fun for anyone who enjoys football, I would say, that doesn't support Chelsea, obviously. But for the neutral, that was what everyone wanted to see. Is there anything in there particularly you want to... uh, Oh, and also Bournemouth Tottenham. What a weekend, Sam, actually, it was for football. What a weekend. Yeah, I forgot about that Bournemouth game. Uh, that feels a long time ago. I don't know why. Um, I think that's what's even more impressive about Spurs is that they can have an absolute stinker like that, come back into it in the 88th minute and be looking like they're getting a point, then go back down to losing in the 90, well, plus five, and yet still we're here and it's not shocking. 
And also it's uh, two weeks in a row that uh, Stellini has been called out by the opposition managers for being a bit, I guess, miserable. <laughs> so uh, that's always fun. I didn't hear yeah. Gary O'Neill's comments. Well, Stellini didn't shake hands with Gary O'Neill and he said something like it was a bit poor or something that he did that. Uh, he, yeah. Gary O'Neill comes across brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly all the time. And he handled it like a gent. Uh, but, yeah, pretty funny that they lost. Uh, there's some funny, like, live watch-along Spurs fan stuff I saw. Celebrating the tool and then having it taken away. Uh, Richarlison scored and it was offside again, so he's still not got a goal in the Prem. Yeah. One of the signings of the summer, everyone seemed to be saying. Well, no, everyone just said that Spurs were having the the best window and stuff. I saw Richarlison come in a few team of the transfer team of the seasons yeah. at the start of the season, and here we are. Yeah, he's he's not been great, uh, even if he's not played as much as he probably could have. I'm I'm happy about it though. It's it's no more than they deserve. Spurs. They've been scraping through too many games really badly. That uh, that Everton game. I mean, they 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 drew it in the end, but they didn't even really deserve that. Um, they've been woeful. It was one of their best ever starts to the Prem, wasn't it? Even though they were playing poorly. Do you remember? Like, it was like their most yeah, it's, points it's, they'd it's ever had. It's been quite a mental. It's been a mental season, really, for them. It's one of those where it's like. You know when uh, all the nerds were saying that Brighton would come good? Th- this was me, by the way. I, I was one of the nerds. Uh, and obviously they did change a lot and get some better players in. But it was like there was always that that thought, like Spurs have got to drop off at some point. They can't just keep scraping through. And, uh, well, they they do. They're just sort of, sort of crumbling now, isn't it? But also the style, the style of football is such that even if they're doing okay, it looks like that. It it does feel like they always look like they're scraping through whether they're doing all right or not, or maybe they're just never doing all right. But they are just picking up points. I don't know, but it's a weird one. But if you're Harry Kane, I don't see how. Uh, what's making you? What are you turning around, looking around at? In your vicinity and thinking, yeah, that's I, I want to stay because of this. Where where do you think they'll finish though? They're fifth at the moment, three points ahead of Villa, uh, four points ahead of Brighton, who have two games in hand. If they'd lost that game to Brighton like they should have done, it would have been disaster for them. Like the table. Um, what do you think? I think they drop right out of it. You know, which which they probably won't because that's well okay okay. They should drop right out of it. Because Villa are the best things since sliced bread at the moment. Um, and look fantastic. And have a great structure. Eli Emery's done a, done a brilliant job. Um, they're not going to... Well, they're not going to catch Newcastle or United. I don't believe. Behind them, I think Villa catch them. I think Brighton catch them. And you know what? I reckon we catch them. Six points and we've got a game in hand anyway. Do you want to know Spurs' next three fixtures? Hit me. Newcastle, Man United, Liverpool. Okay, thank you. They're finishing eighth. They're (laughs) finishing eighth. Definitely is very possible. I think it is. I think it is. And and yet, all season they've been... Right, if, if you went to Spurs fans before the before the end of the season and sort of told them they'd they'd be in the fight for fourth the whole way through it, they'd be happy. A huge, like, mess has been created where there wasn't really any need for one, is what it feels like. Now, I understand that supporters were unhappy with Conte, but the the meltdown kind of just came out of nowhere. Well, I think Conte was unhappy, though, as well. Like, equally unhappy. Yeah, but I think that, yeah, yeah, because he wasn't signing a new deal, it was all uncertain for his future. But that's... That's fine, but they've let it derail their entire season. Because then now he's gone. You got and, and there was no plan after after him going. I suppose Conte did just force his way out. He just said things that you couldn't say. 
But but why was I don't know. I just I just they're just baffling. Spurs and Chelsea have been an absolute shambolic embarrassment this season, and I've loved it. Don't get me wrong, I've loved it, but it's it's craziness really. Because if you look at season objectives for Spurs at the start of the season, they're not a million miles away from it. But the football's been stale. Fair enough. Um, but you've got a, a decent amount of new faces in there anyway that you're integrating and stuff. But yeah, the football's been stale and um, um, and it's been a bad mood around the club between the fans and Conte and him being like, well, I don't even know if I want to do this job next year anyway and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel I do still feel like a huge, a, a big problem has been caused out of something that didn't really need to be done. And then Chelsea, Chelsea are just, the laughing stock of the Premier League at the moment with how Todd Bowley's come in and, and decided to run the place, but also what he promised and then what he actually has done. It's just it's just laughable, it's comical, it's brilliant. Um, so it has been quite a funny season. Yeah, the thing with Chelsea is like Chelsea fans were so optimistic seeing all the signings come in and all, all, all the money being spent, to put it a bit more bluntly. Uh, I think in both instances, Spurs and Chelsea, it's been... Bubbles have been burst, which has been lovely. <laughs> you always like to see someone, uh, someone fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if it's if it's Todd Bowley and if it's like Daniel Levy, then yeah, absolutely. And and the the smugness of fans in in terms of the windows, the signings, even Spurs with Conte and and. You know, having that big name and things like this. Yeah, I'm I'm delighted that they've mm-hmm. that they've been called yeah, true. massive uh, issues. Uh, I think it's when like the pundits don't really see what you see as well when like they're all hyping up Tottenham as well. Uh it makes it feel a bit better. It makes it even more satisfying. People were talking about them like winning the league. Do you remember? I don't really remember that, but I don't think I would have entertained anything that said Spurs winning the league. Because of all these signings and Conte, it was crazy. But it was, yeah, I suppose it was this whole thing of like Conte. He's here. He's a winner. He's here to win. That's all they were interested yeah. in talking about was was what trophies they'd be picking up. Well, it's because they they spent all that time with Nuno. Well, not all that time. It was like three months, but uh, a fortnight. But yeah, it was. Uh, you know, their season was was languishing with Nuno and then Conte surges them up the table so there there was a lot of optimism and now so quickly it's it's gone isn't that isn't that life back, back to square one back to square one um yeah enough about uh enough about Spurs and and their crisis I do reckon they'll tumble down the table that'd be lovely but um well, do you want to talk about another crisis in Chelsea, or have we already sort of covered that enough? Yeah, I think we covered it a lot last week. Uh, it was pretty <laughs> like the game. I watched the sixty minutes of this. I think it was very similar to the last game against Wolves in the sense that Chelsea were bad, <laughs> um, except this time they're playing Brighton, who are uh, more dominant on the ball and were just creating more chances. Uh, Kepper. Really good, keeping the minute. He's he's had a great season. Can't say that for a lot of Chelsea players, and there are a lot of Chelsea players. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very very interesting just watching how that all unfolds over the summer. And they're going to be great entertainment all summer because they're going to make some ludicrous choices. I think because not everyone can stay. People have to go, and it's going to be just funny seeing who they decide to get rid of and who they don't. I think. Yeah, let's hope they get a lot of money for Lukaku for the old uh, FFP. Mm. And then they've also got to not only choose which players out of their seventy-man squad they want to keep uh, and which ones they want to get rid of. They've also got to pick a manager to lead all those players. And my money's not on them doing a great job of that either to be honest um, so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how they fix things and well just how bad they, they get because let me tell you 
Roy's men are on the march. If Roy stays for another year, they're going to finish above Chelsea. Sure, yeah, that's what we're saying. I mean, Roy won't stay for it. Actually, well, no, we'll see. We'll see. Lampard won't be there anymore. Surely things will get fixed. You can't have that much talent in the squad and and it'd be, like, worse than Crystal Palace for a whole year, can it? What about Lampard's Palace? No, Sam. No. <laughs> feels that possible, be, though, doesn't it? That'd, that'd be horrible. It feels possible. It'd right? be, I'd, I'd be really disappointed in Palace if they did that. The team of the season got announced from uh, the Premier League with, with EA Sports. Uh, it was the 40-man shortlist of players that they're, someone thinks are the best players of the season. I guess there's like a Premier League group of pundits. A Premier uh, League group of pundits. Who are they? They are a mystery. Garth Crooks. <laughs> Um, there's probably Shearer in there who is who is good, because uh, he does the team of the weeks. But we don't know. Uh, it's not relevant. Uh, Toby, you've had a look at this list of names. Uh, there's too many to just read out. Uh, are there any highlights that you've? Would you like to me to tell you who stands out to me? Hmm. Okay, goalkeepers. Nobody really stands out too much. I move so on there to was... defenders. Wait. <laughs> So the reason I saw this was because uh, No De Gea was trending on Twitter, obviously from Man United fans. So the five goalkeepers are Nick Pope, Aaron Ramsdale, Alisson, Bernd Leno, Kepa, uh, which I agree with. I think they've all been brilliant. Like David Raya has been good as well, but I think yep. with goalkeepers, uh, most of the goalkeepers are quite good in the league. Um, there's always going to be someone that has to miss out. I think these are... A pretty excellent group of five. And also Lainers. De Gea isn't very good. I think would be the big thing as well. He's probably been the biggest limiting factor in Eric Ten Hag being able to play the way he wants to play. But anyway. Um, yeah, true. Defensively, there's not too many standouts either, to be honest. I think the defenders are basically who you'd expect, apart from uh, Ben White, isn't there? Oh, Ben White's not there. And yeah, of course. Fabian Shaw isn't there as well. If you wanted to triple up on Newcastle defenders, and I do like Fabian Shaw, I do. Yeah. So I don't know Ben White instead of Luke Shaw, maybe. Well, after this, I'm going to ask you to make your team of the season based off this group of players. Um, but we'll go okay. through. We'll keep. We'll keep. You know, picking out any stinkers first. Uh, into midfield. Bentoncourt? Well, Bentoncourt and Hoiberg both get in. Uh, so the, the entire Tottenham midfield. Um, yeah, now I like Bentoncourt. And I do believe that when he's not playing Spurs, when he's been out injured, Spurs miss him dearly. But I don't think he should be on the list, you know? And the other one, James Madison. Yeah, Leicester haven't been great this season, obviously. Yeah, how, how is he even... That's not to doubt his, his his quality at all, you know. I mean, there's what? There's like there's no Liverpool players apart from... Well, Nunes and Salah. <clears throat> no one else, right? Oh, and Alisson. But there's no defence in midfield. Which I'm not saying there should be. But my point is, is that, you know, there are quality... Defenders and midfielders for Liverpool, but you'd be crazy trying to force them in. I feels like Madison being in the midfield is like a yeah. There's no doubt that he's a quality player, but don't put him in the team of the season. There's no way Leicester should be getting relegated, and he's an important, you know, player in that team. And yeah, you can't you can't be getting away with that. So Madison, the two Spurs boys, I think is is pretty scandalous. Uh. Casemiro's in there for for United is like surely when you get a certain amount of red cards, you you just shouldn't be allowed to be in this. No, um, I just to point out, Madison's got nine goals, six assists this season. Okay, it's not a shocking return for a team who have been dreadful, but 
it's not exactly uh, a one-man band dragging them away from the relegation zone, is it? Yeah, it's it's debatable, I'd say. 66 shots this season. Don't know if that's good. (laughs) (laughs) We've not got too much context around it yet. So, people to consider for midfield. Uh, People talking about Bruno Fernandes. Probably the same people talking about De Gea. Uh, uh. And here's the Samus World card. Trossard was brilliant under Graham Potter, which people forget. Trossard was like Brighton's best player until Matoma started playing, which was after would Potter he, left. Would he be an attacker? I suppose Matoma's are in the midfield, but then Grealish yeah. is in the attackers. It's inconsistent, as always, with these things. But and Trossard, Kai Havertz is, a, is in the attackers, which he does play as an attacker, I suppose, but not very well. Trossard's got loads and loads of assists for Arsenal. Like, since he's joined Arsenal, he's got, like, the second most assists in the league or something, I feel like. I, I well, put it out th- there. Got th- three in one game. He's got like a, a seven assists for Arsenal, I think. And also, Which there's no Tyrone Mings in the defence. But anyway, true. Um, I mean that's a debatable one. But the, but there's not much Villa considering they're sixth. You know, that's quite. It's quite good, isn't it, really? Yeah, they've got a lot of options in midfield, don't they? Which may be... Well, they they kind of play four centre mids across the across across the park, don't they? Because they play Ramsey and McGinn wide these days, I think. But so it's not like a it's not like there's a creative standing out in that there's a lot of industry and hard yards and. And, and technical ability as well but it's just not the thing that you associate with those players um, but I really like Bubikar Kamara um, and I really like well John McGinn in a wide area, in, in a wide sort of like flat 4-4-2 it's, it's pretty nice same with Jacob Ramsey you've got a lot of a lot of legs in wide areas these are big shouts though for team of the year yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I feel like a lot of the stuff that you're you're getting from them is off the ball stuff. The 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 standout stuff is off the ball stuff, and that doesn't stand out. So, in a team like this, it's obviously Madison who goes in instead, right? Yeah, but you're really cool if you put John McGinn in your team of the season nominees. <laughs> yeah, and also maybe <laughs> I don't know, maybe a bit ill, but, <laughs> but I don't, um. Are you have you are you done complaining about what midfielders aren't in there? I mean, I yeah. was the one complaining, saying John McGinn, but attackers, attackers. I mean, it's a good group on the whole, but obviously, Havertz is a stinker. You can't have him there. I don't understand that at all. And well, I d- I don't understand Havertz over Jesus. Like, is it just because Jesus has been injured and everyone's forgotten about him? But Everyone was talking about how he's transformed this Arsenal team when he came in, and he's been brilliant since he came back. So it's like Arsenal top of the league. Yeah, and even if you're saying, "Oh, he's not scored enough goals," well, has Havertz? If if that, you know what I mean? It's it's like a nice comparison for Jesus. You're not. It's not like you're comparing him to someone who's been putting up numbers but isn't that great of a player potentially. You know, it's 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 Havertz as a striker. It's not. It's not ridiculous. Um, you know what, Miguel Almiron as well. I feel like that purple patch never happened. I feel like it was all just a dream and it didn't happen. And it's all fine. And Miguel Almiron was never the best player in the league for a month or two. You know? Yeah, there was... Because there was a lot of chat about him and him and Grealish, wasn't there? Uh... Yeah, but that was because uh, Greedish said that thing. Yeah. How the the tables have turned. Mm. Um, Indeed. Do you want some some stats on Kai Havertz? Yeah, I I absolutely want some stats on Kai Havertz. Uh, So, 29 appearances, 7 goals, 1 assist. Gabriel Jesus, 19 appearances, 9 goals, 5 assists. Okay. 
quite a direct comparison there, isn't it? Yeah. Ten games less, more goals, more assists. Yeah. And job done. Better. Whoever did the this, test. they're idiots. Maybe Havertz has like a great upgraded FIFA card that they desperately wanted to put put out. That's true. right, Sam. Uh, who's yeah, your wait, goalkeeper? I, Who I, makes I, it? I, uh, Ivan Tony is missing as well. Oh, sorry, sorry. Got to mention Ivan Tony. I'm not sure Mares has been that great either. I no, I think he, he had a little patch, didn't he? But Foden had a little patch. But then no, Mares had a little patch where he was like great. And then Foden had a little patch where he was great, and now Greenish having a little patch when he was great, and we're kind of merging them all in together. Yeah, I think Maris is one of the he's one of the best attackers in the league, but he's not had one of the best seasons in the league. Um, he's got so much quality, but yeah, I don't know. He's not like made it that much of an impact. I feel like compared to Tony, that that, that feels fair. Um, do you want to go through what your team would be out of this group? Yeah, are you kind doing of yours on the fly. Well? Are you doing yours? Yeah, I'll do mine as well. I'd go Allison. Do you want to go? We'll go I'd... keeper, keeper, defenders, defenders. Yeah. Yeah, Allison. I agree. Have you gone Allison as well? Okay, lovely. You don't have to have a scrap. Um, and then I would go centre back pairing. You know what? I want to go Botman and Saliba. Uh, yeah, it's tricky for Arsenal fans. I'd, I'd probably go Botman, Gabriel. Uh, I suppose it's Gabriel's like... played more than... I'm kind of thinking of the better player, but he's actually the better season, isn't it? Yeah, well, I th- you know, Saliba's obviously going to be great. Like, it was really exciting how well he came in. But I feel like... I feel like Gabriel is one of the most underrated players in the league. Like, I think even, like... Sometimes uh, with referees as well, like he gets probably penalised a bit more than other players. I, I do wonder if Gabriel was like basically a white English guy, you know, if if, if it'd be different. Like he's got quite a, um, you know, even comparing him to, uh, you know, if you compare him to Canate, for example, as well, like Gabriel's stature and like his demeanour and how he looks like, it's it's very different kind of approach to centre backs. Like he doesn't fit into that, like hard, uh, kind of bother you, you know, you know, like a, a menace of a centre back. But he he's got like the odd mistake in him, but he just feels like really really solid. Like obviously really good technically, scores a lot of goals from set pieces, and just has like it's just a really safe defender in how like he covers the the back line for us. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, it it if it was like, I'd probably give it to Gabriel over Saliba. Right back, left back. There's not many to choose from. Uh, so right back has to go to Kieran Trippier. It has to because he's the only one on this list. It's criminal. Is he? A, he is. But he has and been the, brilliant. I think yeah, everyone's probably just just chosen Trippier and not chosen any other right back. And then you've got Zinchenko or Luke Shaw. Yeah, well, it has to be Zinchenko. Has Dan Byrne not had better seasons than the both of them? Yeah. It, it's hard to judge with Zinchenko because he's so, like, not a left-back, really. Yeah, because if I'm thinking of his, like, isolated 1v1 defending, to be, it's not it's not especially bad, but I'm just thinking team of the season, you know? Team of the season level of solidity. How can the how can the team of the season left back the best left back in the league last this season so far be just getting nutmegged and then and then you know like you know that Trent nutmeg and then assist and it be so crucial it feels so glaring but maybe that's a bit of recency bias as well but it it's feels just so like, glaring yeah it's not happened much where Zinchenko has been shown up like that he's not like a liability you know it's not like when people look at Trent and make like montages of him like can I play Solly March left back I mean you can but do you think he's I'm being silly now I mean you can yeah he does play there sometimes but solid let's just put Zinchenko in I like him 
It's fine. Let's not make this harder than it needs to be. I'm doing four four two, by the way, because four three three is like impossible. Okay, I'll go four four two as well. Why not? Because if not, it's just hardened, right? Yeah. Oh no! But how do you? Oh, I don't know if you can do that though, Sam. What? No, I need to go four three three. I think. So I think in midfield, it's going to be like, might be Odegaard, Rodri. It's between Rodri and Bruno Gimaresh, but I don't know. I find it quite hard to choose which, which of those is better, this season. I think I'd like a midfield three of like a a Rodri, Bruno, and Odegaard. It's pretty good. You know, Bruno a little bit higher, where they talk about he might play more as an eight anyway if they if they bring in a a six. Imagine Rodri, Bruno, and, and Odegaard. Feels nice. Feels right. So my my wingers. Uh, What's your midfield? Sorry. Odegaard and uh, and Rodri. Okay. Okay. But can Odegaard play in the two? I'm thinking too much into it. I think. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not going to bring in Hoiberg instead of Odegaard just to make it well, functional. If we. <laughs> Yeah, carry on. Well, okay. Well, this is this is going to seem ridiculous, but the wingers. Does it have to be Martinelli and Saka? I'm not seeing any wingers that have been better than those two. No, you're top of the league. It's fine. You people would say Rashford, but Rashford has clearly not been as good as as he. He's clearly not been as good as Martinelli in the Prem this season. Scored the same amount as Salah. People like to use his other competitions to talk about his season, but you know this is a Premier League team of the season, so it has to go to Martinelli. Uh, and you know, Saka's been great. They've they've kind of rotated in how good that they've they've been. Yeah, I think I'm onto my front three now. You've done your wide players, but I'm onto my front three. I think it'd be Haaland, Saka, Martinelli. I don't think you can really oh, look cool. past that. So my my front two would be uh, Kane and Haaland. I think Kane uh, is very funny because he's having an absolutely brilliant season and nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> he's scored loads of goals. Uh, let me just tell you how many goals he's got this season. He's got 23 goals this season. Uh, he's five ahead of the next scorer, who is Tony. So Tony scored 18 goals and not made this list of nominees. Uh, but yeah, Kane, Kane's yeah, been brilliant. Put it like that. Harland has just broken things. 0.75 goals per 90 from Kane. Lovely. He's been great. And obviously, uh, I think Haaland's going to be in absolutely every team because yeah, 40% sadly, conversion sadly. So, rate. Do you want to end on something funny? Sure. How funny is it? <laughs> Go on. Chelsea, their lineup against Madrid... Is a three-five-one-one supposedly, but we'll see what it actually looks like. Back through, well, Kepper in goal, Chalobah, Thiago Silva, Fofana. Yep, yeah, fine. James and Cucurella as the wing backs makes sense. Chilwell's suspended, and then it's a midfield, I guess four, of Kante, Enzo, Kovacic, and Gallagher, and then just Havertz. Oh, uh, so um, I wouldn't because okay, so Gallagher could be playing like as a second striker. So that's what they've got it down as here. But well, Kante's looks... played played wide before, hasn't he? Kante's played like on the left. Uh... Well, it could also be a three four three, but you've got Kukurea and James really aggressive. So who would the wingers be in the three? I was thinking Kukurea and James in some weird. Uh, sort of 3-4-3 no. three, three, where this midfield becomes flat and you've got Gallagher and Kante operating but then they would be behind it wouldn't work like that Frank Lampard's not that inventive. well the pitch wouldn't be wide enough for them all to stand in a line if they were <laughs> yeah. they played a flat four and that's then true the wing backs <laughs> well I think it'll be a th- no I think it'll be like a 3-5-2 so we'll see how that goes we will report back on on how Chelsea do next week, I guess. What did they play? It probably won't be that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll have completely forgotten. They'll get, yeah, they'll they'll get beaten, and 
will have completely forgotten. Yeah, it would be like when you said you were going to give me your top five spices. Yeah, never happening. Ridiculous thing. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, thanks, Toby. It's, It's been a good one. Thank you very much. It's been a strange energy, it feels like. But thank you very much. It's been a lovely one. All right. Bye-bye. 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 I'm absolutely starving.